It's another Friday. More specifically, it's the 28th Friday of the year, and there are another 24 to go. The final Friday of 2021 is also the last day of this fast-moving year. But there's a long way to go between then and now. Now is the time for this installment of Charlottesville Community Engagement, a program that seeks to bring you information about this community block by block, story by story, connector trail by connector trail. I'm your host, Sean Tubbs. On today's show, work is to begin soon on a roundabout at the intersection of Stony Point and Prophet Roads in northern Albemarle. The latest campaign finance reports are in for candidates in Albemarle and Charlottesville. The Charlottesville Planning Commission recommends approval of a rezoning in Belmont that was previously denied in November of 2018, and discussion of a street closure in the Little High neighborhood could pave the way for a new neighborhood trail connection. In today's Patreon-fueled shout-out, help support Black-owned businesses in the Charlottesville area. Check out the Charlottesville Black Business Directory at SeavilleBlackBiz.com and choose between a variety of goods and services, ranging from beauty supplies, professional services, and e-commerce. Visit SeavilleBlackBiz.com as soon as you can to get started. We're in the middle of the summer, and it's been quiet on the local elections front. Not only has there been a lull in campaign events, there was not much campaign finance activity in Albemarle and Charlottesville at the local races. Reports for activity between May 28th and June 30th were due yesterday to the Virginia Department of Elections. They have been made available through the Virginia Public Access Project. For the Charlottesville City Council race, Democrat Juan Diego Wade began the period with a balance of $32,626 and raised an additional $1,015 in cash over that time. He spent $28,381 during the reporting period, with $18,000 spent on LifeView marketing and $2,350 in advertising with the Daily Progress. Wade finished the month with a balance of 5,259. Democrat Brian Pinkston began the period with a balance of $14,152 on hand and raised an additional $850 in funds, including $500 in a loan from himself. He spent $12,701 during the period, including the repayment of $9,922 in loans to himself. Pinkston concluded the period with a balance of 2,301. The two independents in the race did not report any fundraising. Incumbent Nakaya Walker filed a report that stated a campaign balance of $90 with no expenditures or receipts. There is no report yet in the Virginia Department of Elections database from challenger Yaz Washington. None of the races for Albemarle County Supervisor are contested this year, but new reports are available all the same from the three candidates. Incumbent Jack Jewett District Supervisor Diantha McKeel raised an additional $500 and reported no spending, bringing her balance to 32556 Rio District Supervisor Ned Galloway reported no fundraising or spending and has a balance of 15809 in the open Samuel Miller seat, 
Newcomer Jim Andrews raised $2,001 in cash and spent $3,190 in the period, leaving a balance of $29,317. No write-in candidates filed a report. Moving on to the General Assembly races, the 25th House District includes part of western Albemarle County, and the money race there is somewhat competitive. Incumbent Republican Chris Runyon began the period with 44960 raised 13235 and spent 2566 leaving a balance of $55,628. Democratic challenger Jennifer Kitchen began the period with $78,249 on May 28th. She raised $29,834 with cash contributions from nearly 600 individuals or entities. Kitchen spent $24,524 and had an end-of-period balance of $83,558. In the 57th House District, incumbent Democrat Sally Hudson began the period with a balance of $52,254, raised $1,348, and spent $10,742. Her opponent is Republican Philip Hamilton, who began the period with a balance of $1,179. Hamilton raised $150 in cash, spent $990, and had a balance of $338 on June 30th. In the 58th House District, incumbent Republican Rob Bell began the period with $264,965, and he raised an additional $20,565, spent $3,935, and had a balance of $281,594 on June 30th. Democratic challenger Sarah Ratcliffe began the period with $2,804, raised $5,532, including $3,002 in loans, and spent $1,108. And finally, in the 59th House District, which includes a portion of southwestern Albemarle, the Republican incumbent is Matt Ferris. Ferris began this reporting period with $12,846 and raised $24,120 from 60 individuals or entities. He spent $5,628 in the period and had a balance of $31,338. His Democratic challenger, Ben Moses, began the period with a balance of $130,216 and raised $56,985 in the period, with cash coming from 141 individuals or entities. Moses spent $29,627 and ended the period with a balance of $157,248. Races in the Virginia Senate are not until 2023. Another roundabout is coming to another corner of Albemarle County. Construction will get underway next week at the intersection of Stony Point Road and Profit Road for the project, which was funded in the second round of the Virginia Department of Transportation's Smart Scale process in 2017. In order to save money and attract efficiencies, VDOT opted to bundle that project with several others into a single $28.5 million design-build contract that was eventually awarded to Curtis Contracting. Completed projects include a traffic light on US-29 at Interstate 64's Exit 118 and the Rio Mills Connector Road that opened in June. A conversion of the junction of I-64 and US-250 at Exit 124 is underway, 
and a roundabout at Route 151 and US 250 southwest of Crozet will begin construction later this summer. Today, two segments that make up half of a recap of the Charlottesville Planning Commission meeting from earlier this week. There was a lot of activity, and it's all worth documenting. First, the meeting began with announcements. First up was Bill Palmer, the non-voting representative from the University of Virginia's Office of the Architect. Another office building from the 20th century is coming down. The demolition of the Dynamics building over at the IVM corridor is underway, and, and a lot of the utility enabling seems to have started over there. So that pro- project you know, to enable the Data Science Institute, as well as the um, the conference center and hotel that, that we're building over there. So that's, you know, finally <laughs> getting underway after lots and lots of planning. Planning Commission Chair Hosea Mitchell serves on the city's Parks and Recreation Advisory Board. He told his colleagues and the public that the Honesty Family Aquatic Center will not open this summer. The reason is we just can't get enough lifeguards to um, to support um, all, 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 the, all the parks we've got. This is not unique to Charlottesville. This seems to be a nationwide problem that we just can't get the lifeguards. In the first item of business, the commission considered a rezoning and special use permit for a vacant lot currently zoned R2, which would allow two units on the property. The requested uh, rezoning will be to R3, residential multifamily medium density. And the uh, following uh, special use permit would then allow the applicant to build eight units. A similar application went before commission and the council in 2018 and was denied by council in October of that year. As part of this application, eight parking spaces would be provided on site. Here's Matt Affley, a city planner. Residents are concerned that the code required the code required eight parking spaces will not be enough for this development and the overflow parking will impact the surrounding neighborhood, especially the homes on Chestnut Street. One change since the 2018 submission involves how vehicles will get in and out of the site. Justin Shimp is the engineer on behalf of MSC. We have worked with a traffic engineer. We have a one-way entrance off Carlton, because that is a narrow street, but the one-way entrance is a safe entrance, and then we exit out the alley. So there's no traffic concerns. Shimp said the rezoning was consistent with the city's desire to build more housing units. The reality is, if you look at the, the goals that are stated by the city in terms of providing housing to folks who take ultimate means of transportation and how to deal with climate change and the other issues we face, These sort of infill projects are an excellent way to achieve those goals. Though not a representative of the rental company that will manage the units, Shimp said the one-bedroom units would be rented between $1,100 and $1,200 a month, and the two-bedroom unit would be around $1,500. None of the units are being subsidized and will not be proffered to keep them below market. The situation could be different in the future when the comprehensive plan is adopted and the zoning ordinance is rewritten. Lisa Robertson is the city attorney. What we're all waiting for so anxiously is a zoning ordinance that can um, have regulations that say if we're going to require, for example, a certain amount of affordable housing for every development of a specific size, we want to 
just be right up front about what that means and what the paperwork that's going to be required over the course of the affordability period will be. Several residents of the immediate neighborhood asked for the rezoning to be denied or for more parking to be required. Another Belmont resident said there should not be more parking. Here is Jake Gold. I have to say I'm a little dismayed by the number of my neighbors who want more car storage here. Uh, This is a a really solid location for car-free living. This time around, the Planning Commission unanimously recommended approval of both the special use permit for more density and the rezoning. It will go to City Council next at a future meeting. In today's second Patreon-fueled shout-out, that's for the Plant Northern Piedmont Natives Campaign, an initiative that wants you to grow native plants in yards, farms, public spaces, and gardens in the Northern Piedmont. Native plants provide habitat, food sources for wildlife, ecosystem resiliency in the face of climate change, and clean water. Start at the Plant Northern Piedmont Natives Facebook page and tell them Lonnie Murray sent you. And we're continuing to talk about the Charlottesville Planning Commission meeting from this past Tuesday. Next, the commission was asked to weigh in on whether Charlottesville should give up the public right-of-way between East High Street and Merriweather Street in the Little High Street area. This is what is known as a paper street because most of the land dedicated to the city for a road was never built upon. Tony Edwards is the Development Services Manager in the city's Department of Public Works. This uh, subject street was created in 1940 with a subdivision plan that established the Little High neighborhood. The 1940 subdivision plan created a new Lewis Street. An adjacent landowner has asked for the city to give up the right-of-way in order to avoid the possibility of an eventual cut-through street from ever being built into the Little High neighborhood. Another nearby landowner asked that an existing gravel path be turned into a formal city trail for bikes and pedestrians. It was determined that the existing gravel path actually veers outside of the platted right-of-way of 13th Street Northeast over the yard of a private residence and a busy parking lot. Staff at that time also of the opinion that establishing a bike and pedestrian connection within the platted right-of-way would be difficult and expensive. Nonetheless, city staff recommended not vacating and closing the right-of-way in part to preserve the possibility of meeting future transportation needs. The applicant for the street closure said one reason for the request is because the amount of developable property on the parcel he manages is less than it should be because of differing building setbacks rules when there's an adjacent street, real or paper. In this case, 20 feet versus 15 feet. Here's Roy Van Dorn, the manager of the LLC that owns 1140 East High Street. If you take 20 feet away from the property line, basically removes all that property from utility. Van Dorn said a connector road would overwhelm the Little High neighborhood. Under his proposal, there would be more parking for uses on East High Street on the public portion of 13th Street, and he would fix drainage issues. He also made this offer on behalf of himself and neighboring properties. I made a proposal, and, I, I, and it's on the table, 
that we as property owners around this section would put in a 12 foot wide uh, gravel connector so that bikes and pedestrians could walk in that area. If the city were to work out an arrangement for that land to be dedicated to public use, that connector would need to be built to some standards, according to city traffic engineer Brennan Duncan. It wouldn't necessarily have to be built to the full um, roadway standards, but it would have to be built to ADA standards or bicycle trail standards. The specific question before the commission was whether vacating the street conformed with the city's comprehensive plan. Planning Commissioner Jody Lehendro said no. I don't like the idea of forfeiting um, the city uh, from the future possibility of, of doing something. Commissioner Lyle Soli Yates said he supported thinking about the issue more while an arrangement is worked out to potentially use the right-of-way for non-motorized modes of travel. Van Dorn had sent over his compromise proposal on Monday, not enough time for the Planning Commission to get a staff report. Van Dorn requested a deferral to work through the details of how to make that connector trail work. You know, owning the land for us is not that important. What is important is that the Little High Street neighborhood has a way to utilize uh, connectivity, but not automobile. Will this come to pass? Stay tuned in future installments of Charlottesville Community Engagement. And that's it for today's show, the Friday edition of the program. Thank you very much for listening. This is a good time for me to tell you that if you are enjoying this program and if you have uh, and if you have subscribed already to Substack, I really do want to just say, you know, I really appreciate that this would not be possible without you. And uh, in the days and months to come, I do hope to figure out some way to make um, you guys just understand that uh, without your support, I wouldn't be able to do this every day. This is a seven day a week job and I love it. This is what I'm passionate about doing, bringing you these little details of things that are going on. Uh, and of course, uh, if you have not supported it yet, the company Ting will match. They will match your contribution to Substack, either at the $5 a month level, the $50 a year level, or the $200 founder a year level. Uh, all of it goes to help me uh, keeping on plugging along with this information, which I really do plug some holes um, in the community's knowledge gap. Uh, really do enjoy putting this together, and I'm glad that you are listening. I'm Sean Tubbs, the host, and I will be back over the weekend, probably with another installment. There's a lot to go through, as well as the week ahead newsletter. We'll see how far I get uh, tomorrow with uh, the recaps of the rest of this city planning commission meeting as well as an Albemarle County Planning Commission actually a couple of Albemarle County Planning Commission meetings which I think there are things that we need to go through thanks for listening stay safe and uh, if you are the kind of person who gets weekends have a good one